Hi, welcome to Location Cube, a Weaver Beyond the Numbers podcast. I'm Howard Altschuler, partner in charge of real estate and construction services for Weaver. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Aaron Griss, our real estate tax leader. Today, we're joined by Ashley Pleasant, who's a director in our advisory group and is our director of ESG. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Sure thing. So why don't we start with just a little bit of introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background because you're relatively new to Weaver. Um, kind of what are you looking to do here? Yeah, so I'm happy to be at Weaver. I've been here for about three months now. My background is in real estate. Um, that's where I started in asset management and property management, managing large portfolios for the office and the industrial sector. And in those roles, I took on the responsibility of propping up ESG programs. And um, that's something that I've become very passionate about over the last couple of years and looking to become um, more industry agnostic and serve more than serve a wider industry than just real estate. And that's what I'll be doing here at Weaver. Great. So on a very basic level, what is ESG and why is it important? Yeah. So I'm glad you asked. I get asked this a lot. Um, ESG stands for Environmental Social Governance. So these are the criteria that companies are assessed and evaluated by investors and stakeholders for their impacts on society and the environment. And it's also what investors are using to evaluate risks in their portfolio. So this is a real estate podcast. So I want to ask you some real estate questions as it pertains to ESG. So I feel like I see a lot of ESG reporting from large public companies, Fortune 500 companies. How much do we really see it in private real estate deals? We are seeing ESG reporting. Um, maybe it's not the lengthy reports or CSR reports that you're seeing posted on websites, but you're seeing reporting in the form of GHG emissions reporting. And that may get released to some of the partners that are within their um, value chain. So you might have a company like Target that has a big ESG report and they're asking their smart, smaller vendors and companies that they work with to supply that type of, type of data. And so the GHG greenhouse gas, correct? Correct. Um, that reporting that deals with emissions correct. between level one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. So what is level one, two, and three emissions? So according to GHG protocol, that's actually scope one, two, and three. So scope one, just think of it as what you burn. So this might be the emissions from company-owned cars. It's going to be emissions that are con directly controlled or owned by the company from com combustible fuel sources. And then scope two is going to be, think of it as like what you buy. So all of your utilities, like your electricity, your heating sources, the cooling sources, so those types of things. And then your scope three is everything else up and down your supply chain. So like I mentioned with the Target example, this is where you are sourcing your vendors and suppliers for their scope three and even your employee travel. Let's see, that seems, that seems hard. I mean, obviously, it seems hard enough to figure out what's my scope one emissions. I mean... I just think about it, me personally, I know, you know, where I, you know, where I drive the car, where I go on trips on an airplane, uh, what have you. And I know kind of what I buy and from where, but knowing what the suppliers, you know, the grocery store or the, you know, the dairy farm or the, the farm growing the vegetables, just thinking about food, let alone, you know, things like clothing or things like gas in the car, et cetera, et cetera. Where you work. Where, where you work, yeah. How, how, how? How do you be able to measure all that? It is difficult. It's challenging. And it's something that all industries are um, grappling with. And even with the, require the looming requirements that are out there with New York local law 
and the California climate disclosures, there is a little bit of leniency and discretion as long as you are making best efforts to collect the data. This is all still unknown and evolving, and they're working through what the parameters are for, for um, reporting on this data so it is consistent and accurate. But scope one and two are pretty set. Um, there are a lot of companies that have been reporting on this for a while. There are consultants that can help with it. So there are a lot of pathways to compliance for reporting on scope one and two data. So you kind of talked about, you know, maybe large companies like Target require an ESG report, but would there be any reason that a real estate company or a private company should report voluntarily? For a host of reasons. One, it demonstrates transparency to your stakeholders. Your investors are increasingly, again, looking to this data to make investment decisions, to make long-term decisions, to make future-proofing decisions. ESG um, has been on the radar with within the real estate industry for a while now. One, because of physical climate risk. Um, we are one of the industries that are most impacted by that. We are... Um, one of the biggest emitters of GHG, um, excuse me, GHG emissions. And for that reason, it, the global community is looking to the real estate industry to be able to um, come to a, to, for a net zero solution. Um, and so for those reasons, ESG is very impactful in the real estate industry. And to the extent that you do have a report and can provide that transparency, it just makes you more marketable. Yeah. So I was reading that real estate, the real estate industry is responsible for 40% of global emissions. Why is that and what can what can the real estate industry do to to be better? The, well, it starts with measuring your impact and you can't manage what you don't measure and you'll hear that a lot. And so like we were talking about, just starting with measuring and putting processes together to measure your greenhouse gas emissions and collecting that data and using a company like Weaver to assist you with the accuracy of the data and um, being able to put together something that's comprehensive. Investors and your stakeholders are looking for investment grade data, which means again, it's comprehensive, it's accurate. Um, and then the majority of the reason that the real estate industry is, um, a, is a big emitter is because of the type of materials that are involved with you know steel and those types of things. So it's inherent in the industry. Yeah, cement and concrete are the worst. Um, because making cement requires, I think it's, I'm not a geologist, but I think it's calcium carbonate or something like that, that when you make it, it let, gets all the carbon into the atmosphere, mm -hmm. which is why you're seeing a bit more and more trends towards the um, mass timber and the wood buildings and such, because that's more of a carbon sink um, than a carbon emitter because the, the wood in the buildings would, would trap the carbon, um, even though the tree's already, you know, dead and put into, into a building. So, you, you, you know, we've, we've talked about that before on the podcast with a lot of the mass timber projects that are going on. And I think there's an economic reason to it and, you know, an environmental reason, which kind of goes to, you know, it, for real estate, as we know, it's all about the economics. And so how, you know, we talked about the, the importance and, you know, there's obviously the, the doing the right thing. There's we know like a lot of investors, not so much here in the States, but in especially in Europe. It's a really big issue for them, and they want to see that you're making progress towards cutting carbon and reporting and such. But yeah, at the end of the day, you know, are your are your buyers going to pay for it? Are your tenants going to pay for it? How do you how do you get those economics to make it to make the deal pencil? Investors and landlords are economically incentivized to 
put these energy efficiency measures into place. One, it's a direct impact to your NOI. So that automatically gets you a boost in your value. We are seeing that tenants are um, paying a, what's called a green premium for these type of green and healthy buildings. And a lot of that started um, during COVID where tenants were asking about the optimization of the HVAC, HVAC units and they were asking about the filters and asking if you had healthy certifications. So they are paying a premium for that. And in turn, your buyers are paying a premium. On the flip side, if your building does not have any data related to GHG carbons, it is not an energy efficient building. It is not future proofed. And they are subject to what's considered a brown discount. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, I would imagine that there's a lot of correlation between ESG and, and greenhouse gas emissions, lowering those and tax credits, whether it's 45L credits or all these green building tax credits that we're seeing now as part of the Inflation Reduction Act. Yes. Um, and the Inflation Reduction Act has just created a really, really easy pathway for companies and businesses to implement renewable energy and other type of high um, CapEx type of projects. You know, I spend a lot of time up in New York working with our colleagues um, there and talking to real estate folks. One of the big things there is um, Local Law 97, which is not just a reporting standard, but also a carbon emissions standard. It's relatively new and still being implemented, and I think it even got delayed a little bit. Um, but there's a lot of people in New York who are not necessarily the most sophisticated real estate owners and maybe aren't really aware of what's going on there. So kind of in a nutshell, what's it all about and what would you know, the person who owns a couple of multifamily buildings need to know and need to know now. Yeah, I think the important thing with all of these climate bills and GHG disclosure um, bills, the thing to know is to get started now building your processes to collect data. You are going to get pulled into a reporting regime one way or the other. That's just where the trends are headed. And even if I am a smaller um, player in the real estate market, um, there are communities and there are local uh, regulatory agencies that are motivated to want to understand what that carbon footprint is. It does None of this works unless we all kind of marry this information together. So that's how you're going to get pulled into it because that's what the marketplace is doing and it's commonplace and it's standard. And so um, you can work with your consultants. There are There's a huge ecosystem of resources to be able to put together processes and plans to collect your data and to report on it. So is there anything... We haven't touched down that's included in Weaver's ESG service offerings. So Weaver um, is putting together service offerings for our clients, which was an organic extension of what we were already seeing in the marketplace. And for the clients that we currently serve, we have been reporting on GHG emissions since the Clean Air Act. So um, it's not a new service line. It's an extension, right? So we are now offering our clients um, a comprehensive ESG strategy service and helping the you know mid to small to mid companies come up with a plan that's scalable. I think that's one of the things that's also something that um, you know our, um, our clients are looking to us for to be able to advise them on what makes sense for them. I, do I need to report on everything? ESG is so broad that sometimes it can just blindside you and make you just want to walk away. So we can put together something that's scalable makes sense for where you are in your journey, but then also makes you competitive in the marketplace because, again, this is standard. ESG doesn't sit outside of businesses. It's within the business strategy. We talked a little, little bit about um, our ESG tax services and how we can help 
companies um, monetize some of their CapEx projects and make those more economically viable. Um, we're also, again, the GHG emissions reporting. We do um, G, excuse me, ESG data assurance. And um, that is something I think that set really sets us apart is being able to provide our cl clients with that type of service. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring last question. I'm gonna bring it back to real estate. Okay. And you mentioned earlier about sustainability and resiliency and such. So a couple of weeks ago, I was talking in Austin in a panel, and I asked a question to the people there: um, What are y'all doing in terms of building in sustainability and resiliency in buildings? And you know, for Austin, I'm thinking issues potentially with water supply, thinking with terms of heat resistance things like that, uh, was pretty much met with crickets um, from the other panelists. And so it's it kind of, my thought is it's not yet at the forefront of people's minds, especially real estate owners, real estate developers. What's it going to take for them to put sustainability and resiliency, you know, not even thinking about reporting, but just from a operational standpoint, in developers' minds to where they start building, designing and building buildings to deal with that? Um, quite honestly, I'm surprised that you didn't have a quick response to that. With all of the billion-dollar climate disasters, I can't imagine a landlord, lord, an owner, an investor who doesn't have climate resilience at the top of their list. It's difficult to get a loan without putting together your climate strategy and being able to demonstrate that you did have some kind of climate assessment. Mm -hmm. Here are the risks and here are the mitigators. Um, developers, in order to um, put out a product that is marketable have to be able to demonstrate that it is ready to take on these, you know, these climate risks that are increasingly getting more volatile. That is just the climate that we're in right now. Sustainability features have been considered for a while now, and it is just becoming more and more standard, whether it's your white roofs or redundant power, renewable energy, this, it's, it's just the standard. And, you know, as you say that, I guess one thing that you were constantly hearing about in the real estate market is insurance costs. Mm -hmm. um, would being able to build certain sustainability features in help with insurance costs? It should. What I'm hearing is that there's a little bit of a disconnect because the insurance market looks backwards and <laughs> the way that climate resilience and future proofing works, right, is you're doing models that are being predictive and predictive and looking forward. So there's a little bit of, of a disconnect there, but you still, um, by demonstrating that you do have a building that can withstand these climate impacts, physical climate risks, you should be able to negotiate a premium with your insurer. Good deal. Great. Well, thanks for joining us today, Ashley. Thank really you appreciate for having it. me. This has been great. I appreciate it. That wraps up another edition of Location Cubed, a Weaver Beyond the Numbers podcast. Be sure to catch all of our recent podcasts on weaver.com.